Welcome, everyone, to a very special edition of the Data Knots podcast. I've since embarked on an away mission to Orlando, Florida, to attend the Microsoft Ignite conference, and I'm comfortably situated in the snazzy podcast center to bring you, my techie friends out here, welcome, some spectacular news and content being generated at the show. Howdy, I am Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. And sadly, not with me today is Ethan Banks, my co-host who plans to sneak in some commentary during the takeaway breaks later. He's Ethan Banks, at EC Banks on the Twitter. And this is the Data Knots podcast. You can find this and all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at packapushers.net. So. I just can't wait to see how this turns out. I'm going to answer a question, and then later hear Ethan saying, like, that's rubbish. No, we, that, that's at the very, very end. We always put the, the, the bloopers okay. at the end. Okay. So, so we have a limited time, a lot to cover. I want to introduce a very special guest, Jeffrey Snover. I'm sure most people at the show, if not everybody, knows who you are. But for the audience, who are you? What do you do? Because you've had various titles and roles, and I know you have kind of a yeah. new one. Yeah, so I'm now. a uh, technical fellow at Microsoft, and then I'm the chief architect for our Azure infrastructure management team. So I've got a bunch of breadth responsibilities, but my primary focus these days is Azure Stack. A lot of people have known me for having been the inventor of PowerShell and then the lead architect for Windows Server for many years. Yeah, that's how I knew you was the PowerShell role, Monad Shell. First off, though, kudos. Uh, the, the first thing I want to talk about is PowerShell, but kudos on your session, the Data Center Transformation, a Roadmap for Platforms, Processes, and People. If you were at that session, it was awesome. If not, the recording is something I've been sharing with people in my company and around the world just because it was, it was really good. So kudos. I'll have a link in the show notes on where you can grab that video. Oh, great. And also, I know you're probably, well, maybe you're not tired about talking about PowerShell, but... No. Okay. Oh, heck no. So good. <laughs> so good. I mean, for those that aren't necessarily on the know of, of what was going on there, like what was going through your mind if you've not read the Monad Manifesto or, or even understand what the Monad shell, what were you thinking? Because I, if I remember correctly, it was kind of a controversial thing to get oh, a, a, a shell into Windows that wasn't just DOS shell, you know, like writing Perl scripts and whatnot. Yeah, right. So at the time, you know, Microsoft had been wildly successful. You know, Windows Server was rocking it and we're kicking it. And it was rocking and kicking it because it had these local admin GUIs, right? And that was great. They were going to be great. But the job of an architect is to be the guardian of the future, right? (laughs) To see where things are going and then lay a path. And a GUI on a local server is great when you got a local server, And it might be great when you can walk between two or three or five of these things. But when you say, wait a second, I'm going to actually be successful. And successful means I'm not going to have five servers. I'm going to have 500. I'm going to have 5,000. I'm going to have 50,000. I'm going to have 500. I'm going to have millions of servers. Now, that sounds crazy back then. Yeah, back then. But but we do have millions of servers running in our data centers, okay? So then, like, the idea of, like, walking up to a local machine and doing a GUI was never going to work. So I knew that we had to have automation that the only way we were going to ultimately achieve our destiny was through automation. But at the time, that was very controversial because it's like, hey, you know, which part of Windows is confusing (laughs) you? And I was like, well, that's great, and it's an and story, but we definitely have to have this and. And so that's what I I went and pursued was automation, and that was a very difficult time. Yeah. (laughs) Did, Did you ever, after that was all said and done, and now PowerShell is super pervasive, people love it, Who'd you tell the I told you so to? Did you, did you ever rub it in anyone's face or you're just no. happy that it happened? Yeah, okay. exactly. Because <laughs> that was a big moment to say I told you so. I mean, was, well, you know, actually, deal. I don't know if you heard the story, but actually I got demoted. I did hear that story. Yeah, I had to yeah. get demoted to go work on PowerShell because they're like, you know, we hired you to be this senior important person and you want to go do what? <laughs> like, 
if you want to do that, fine, but you're going to have to take a demotion. So I took a demotion. It took me five years, five years to get my Stripe bike. I can tell you it was, <laughs> it was personally very expensive to develop PowerShell. There we go. I guess the, the nice result is everyone that's here listening live at the show and then uh, you know, at the podcast center itself is, is pretty happy that you did that. So I guess thank you on behalf of everyone for going through your five-year hiatus <laughs> in the doghouse. Switching gears a little bit more to the current and future state yep. of PowerShell. More recently, PowerShell was open sourced. It's been actually put into other platforms. You know, it used to be people would kind of push back saying, oh, I don't want to learn PowerShell because it's just Windows. Yeah. And it was kind of a, a caveat that I understood because mm-hmm. that's not what the whole world is. But now it's on GitHub. It's available, you know, at least at a tech preview and a future GA for all these other platforms. What was that conversation like? Yeah, so actually it starts with Sachin and Dell. I mean, we had always wanted to go pr- cross-platform and, and be the tool customers needed us to be. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we have dependencies, right? We were on .NET, and until .NET went, that was never going to be possible. But under Sacha, he came in and he said, hey, I want everybody to get out of your offices, stop <laughs> talking to one another, go mm-hmm. talk to the customers and find out what they need, and then give it to them. He says, don't worry about money. Look, if you are helping <laughs> making customers successful, we have smart people that can figure out how to monetize it. If we're not making our customers successful, that's really hard to monetize. <laughs> so go give people what they want. And when the .NET team did that, they found that lots of people wanted, they loved .NET and they wanted it on all their platforms. When they did that, that enabled us. That enabled us to go and go cross-platform because we always wanted to do that. You know, my friends at VMware, as odd as that sounds, right? I have friends at VMware, and they were one of the first and earliest and most active adopters of PowerShell because they needed automation so bad. And what they would tell me, you know, they'd say, hey, Jeffrey, this is great, but I got a problem. I said, well, what's your problem? They said, well, it's great for my my Windows guys, but my Linux guys feel like they get second-class automation, and... And in reality, they are. So that's a problem for me. Is there anything you can do to help me? And for a long time, I couldn't help them, and now I can. Now our vision is to be a tool that every employee in the company, whether they like Windows, whether they like Mac, whether they like Linux, can use this tool to manage anything in the environment, Windows, Linux, Mac, whether it's running on AWS, Google, or Azure, Mm -hmm. whether it's running any hypervisor, you know, VMware or Hyper-V, any storage subsystem. Just the tool that people need for everybody to come together, all pull together and manage everything. No doghouse period. It was basically you were pushed and said, let's do this. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was great. And kind of moving beyond that, I know now it's really more a question of the the migration from PowerShell, the kind of full CLR to the core Mm -hmm. is kind of coming up quite a bit. You know, can you just discuss at a high level, what's the difference between kind of full PowerShell versus... PowerShell core, yep. and what, what does that look like? Because I know, uh, I, I was reading that for 6.0, that's pretty much where you're putting all of your time into, is core. It's, that's it's, correct. The full one is going to kind of fade away. Well, not fade away, well, no, From no, no. a features and improvement perspective, right? Well, it'll be sort of essentially done, okay. right? But let me give pers- <laughs> perspective on that. Well, <laughs> it is. It, it, let's put some per- perspective on that. We've had a very large <laughs> team developing it for five versions, all right? Mm. I mean, this thing's incredibly rich, and I will guarantee you that most people today know less than one half of the features functions that we delivered in version one. Seriously. That's fair. So there's, it is an incredible tool. Now, that said, we have this thing called command.exe. We have not added a feature to that thing in over 20 years, and we still can't kill that thing because it's used so much. I have no doubt whatsoever that version 5.1 is going to meet people's needs for a very long time. 
Now there's this new base, and that's 6.0, and it's the cross-platform base. Mm -hmm. Now there, it's based upon .NET Core. So what that means is now people have to write their commandlets so that they work in both .NET Core and in full .NET. With .NET version, Core version 1, that was a problem. They did a great job, but in reality, upon reflection, they over-refactored, had too much courage, (laughs) and they kind of got a whack in the the nose on that okay. one. Now, there was one team, exceptionally <laughs> awesome developers, that was able to make the port, but most people felt that they had cut too many things out. So they did two things. One is they brought back a whole bunch more things, but now as optional components. Okay. And the second was they developed .NET Standard. .NET Standard now means if you code to these libraries, right, these APIs, they will work, your assembly will work in full and in .NET Core. That takes a lot of headache out of it. Exactly. And so that's where we're going. So I now need to get the whole ecosystem to now, one, kind of target that, and then, two, validate that it works in both environments and tell everyone they'll support them. But in reality, the stuff that works there right now, most of it just works. So we just, in the latest version, we changed the module path, so we're just picking up all the Windows modules, and everything I've tried works. No, it's not true. Uh, DNS didn't work, but... Uh, who needs DNS? It's, yes. it's a minor thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So core is the way forward. 5.1 yep. will still be there. Yeah. You know, can, and still like, be awesome. Exit. Yeah. Nobody should be feel any uh, worry or it's concern no at all about that. You know, look, if it's a concern, we're a customer-driven company. So if it turns out there's a concern, there's some big thing that, that 5.1 needs, just talk to us. We'll get that in there. That's but, fair. Uh, but our focus is on, is on this cross-platform tool. Well, especially because a lot of this is available from a visibility perspective on GitHub, you can comment, you can have a discussion. It's not like the, the Iron Throne is now behind a brick wall like it used to be. It's, it's pretty in the open for the community to voice their issues and opinions. No, they can submit yeah. code. Yeah, you we can, are shipping other people's code That's in a nerve-wracking Windows. thing for some folks. At the very least, you can see what's going on, I suppose. Is, no, that's is a true. Nice advantage. Well, and by the way, tell people, is like, you know, if you ever come across a, a horrible error message, now you can search the source code to find out what that thing really <laughs> means. And it's very easy to just say, hey, could you please change that text to say this, because this is what's really going on? I recommend submitting PRs with emojis yeah. so that you get cool little happy... Or if it's a if it's a syntax error, or something for the little you know dookie thing on there. Okay, so you, can, you can have some fun. Just say watch your PRs very closely because now that I've seeded that thought into the audience, I'm sure it'll be happening. Thank you. Okay, so it sounds like the advantage is cross-platform compatibility is kind of a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Lighter weight potentially. Uh, the fact that you're providing .NET standard makes it easier. Disadvantages, things I should be worrying about if I'm looking to potentially start using Core and Porting over yeah. my scripts or someone else's? Yeah, so there are some compatibilities. So first is you got to make sure that the commandlets that you use are supported there. Okay. And then number two is, as we made the, the change, there we have some breaking compat. And basically there were some issues that, uh, some technical issues for a couple features. And we looked at those and said, we don't think people are actually using these. You know, we made a number of bets. We don't think these two bets weren't good bets. And so far, nobody's come back and said, oh, that's a deal breaker. If it turns out it is, just talk to us and we'll work on it. Okay. But those were workflows and then transactions. Yeah, workflows, I don't know many people that use those. I feel like not many people even know what they are. Okay. So there that one sounds, I don't know about transactions, though. Yeah, so we had transaction yeah. support. And the idea was that uh, you, know, you could do transactional uh, management. You know, start a transaction, change, 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 change. In the end, roll it back or oh, okay. commit. Kind of like and a log. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And in reality, I think that the industry is going to more of an immutable infrastructure model where you start with a base set of components and a script that produces a desired result. And if that's not the desired result, you throw it all away 
change the script and do it all over again. That sounds fair. Yeah, in fact, that's what we're doing in um, the direction we're going with Azure Stack. We'll get to that in just a moment. I guess kind of a final PowerShell question. So a huge fan of the gallery for those Mm. that are using the PowerShell gallery. Do these changes being going from kind of full to core PowerShell, does that affect the gallery in some way? And also kind of a, a thing you brought up VMware. I noticed that the gallery popularity has been going pretty crazy in that even VMware now for their Power CLI module has completely ditched the MSI installer, gone full gallery. So you've got ecosystem vendors that are really embracing something that was in tech preview for quite some time. So yes. I guess, is this causing any harm and also any thoughts on the gallery as it continues? Yeah, definitely no harm. But basically this is where you use the gallery has tags. Okay. And so you'll have tags that say, hey, this one works in 6.0 versus doesn't work. That's fair. Yeah. Ethan here. I did not make it to Microsoft Ignite, but I still had a chance to listen to the show and record some thoughts. Now, here's the thing that grabbed my attention from the PowerShell conversation. It was this idea of transactional code versus immutable code. Based on what Jeffrey said, and then I went digging through Microsoft documentation to verify, PowerShell transactions are commands where several commands run as a single unit. So all the commands run and then get committed or they are rolled back. In other words, the transaction succeeds 100% or the commands in effect were never executed. Jeffrey mentions that this idea of transactional code didn't really take off, and most folks instead have moved on to a different idea, this immutable model. Now, immutability has the idea of something not changing. Applied to PowerShell scripting, that means you don't fix a script that doesn't produce a desired result. Instead, you throw that script out and make another one that does produce the desired result, which was an interesting idea because typically you would edit code. And I'd I'd love to understand exactly how that works out in practice, this idea of immutability with code. Just related to that, I mean, this whole idea is tied to immutable infrastructure where you don't upgrade a system, taking a system down for a while while you get the upgrade done. Because instead you would, uh, again, with this idea of immutable infrastructure, you just stand up a whole new system with a fresh app or a fresh operating system on it, whatever it is that you're upgrading. And then just take the old system down so that the application is always in service. So uh, immutable infrastructure is going to come up in cloud operations for, say, container instantiation to light up a new application. I've seen a Kubernetes demo that shows exactly this, as well as security operations where it makes the most sense just to re-image a system rather than fix a compromised device. Azure infrastructure is part of your title. Does that mean you manage, like, Azure Stack and public cloud Azure, or kind of everything? Or? Uh, well, it's where, a, where does your domain of expertise lie? Yeah, so our group, well, our group, my domain expertise is, you know, I've got breadth responsibilities and depth responsibilities. So the depth responsibilities, or breadth responsibilities, we own, like, the Azure portal. Okay. We own the Azure hardware design. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're going to hear Azure and hardware in the same sentence, but okay. Yeah, we design our own hardware. <laughs> I get it now. True. And uh, then we own all the management products, the operations management suite, and uh, backup and recovery, things okay. like that. And then Azure Stack. Well, and, of course, uh, all the management stuff, PowerShell still. Yeah, you can't get your roots. No. Uh, so it's, it's gone GA today, I think. Yeah. Or, yeah, GA for Azure Stack or yesterday, I forget. But um, awesome, because we had a show about a month ago where we talked on Azure Stack and kind of got some of the, you know, here's what's going on in the covers. And now it's gone GA. Azure Stack integrated systems are available, and I'm sure... There's operators standing by, call now, you know, buy three, get one free, I don't know. What I wanted to comment was... Go to the shop show floor, bring one home with you. (laughs) It's hard to remember what time it is and what day it is, because the show has been just so energetic and chaotic Mm. at the same time. But uh, I wrote down a note on Monday's uh, technical keynotes. Azure Stack was highlighted a lot of times. You know, the 
because I liked it was a visionary keynote, and then I stayed for the technical keynote that was in the same room right afterwards. Mm. And it was all, here's all the, the new hotness that's going on. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a blog article that, you know, of the three major disruptions that Microsoft's bringing to bear, Azure Stack was highlighted as one of those. Yeah, I tweeted that. I said Azure Stack and two other things. Yeah, two other <laughs> SQL or something like yeah. that. Who does? <laughs> <laughs> so, so in your words, being that you're, you're, you're kind of uh, at the helm of the ship, you know, why do you think Azure Stack is so critical? And what will it offer to businesses that they can't do today? Yeah, so here's an interesting thought. So at some point we were going to do Azure Stack, and we really kind of thought it at the time as maybe this is going to be a point-in-time thing, right? A stepping stone for those people that weren't ready to go to the public cloud. Okay. But as I mentioned to you, Satya said, you know, stop talking to each other. Go out and talk to the audience. Go talk to customers. And when we did that, boy, did we get a very, very, very strong signal one, this hybrid cloud is not a point-in-time thing. It is a steady-state thing. That's fair. And a lot of the scenarios we thought, well, this, but then public cloud will da-da. No, no, no. There are some true enduring scenarios behind this. You know, things like regulations, things like edge and disconnected, mm -hmm. where you've got to deal with data gravity or you need a tight control loop. And then also, you know, modernizing applications on-premises. Anyway, the, the customer signal for this was great because a lot of people were just like, I want to go to the cloud like I totally get it. This makes sense for me. There are some workloads I can't run there or I don't want to run there or I'm not ready to run there, but I want to have that model. So anyway, it's just incredibly strong. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, like a long time. <laughs> I have never worked on a product that's yeah. this strong a customer signal. It's interesting because it's, a, it's kind of reversed from what I think a lot of other companies are trying to do where they're taking on-prem and trying to push it to cloud. You're taking the cloud model and kind of bringing it into the data center which solves that checkbox of building private cloud is hard. Yeah. There's been a lot of attempts to do that, and thus far they've not really made enough traction. I think the word it. you're looking for is failed. Yeah, I don't like the, <laughs> the F word. <laughs> That'd be nice. But no, you know, the, the, we have other people who are doing, taking different approaches, but in reality, in reality, what they're trying to do is not to move to the future, but to extend the past. Mm -hmm. They're really taking this on-premise stuff and run it in somebody else's data center. Well, guess what? We've been doing that for 20 years. It's called Colo. <laughs> right? You're not moving to the cloud. You're moving to somebody else's concrete. And in this case, it's AWS's concrete. Well, I'm not sure why AWS's concrete is any more special than some other Colo's concrete. You know, we did that for the last 20 years. So it really is. And, and look, there's, there are benefits to Colo. Like, mm -hmm. that was a great mall. That's why we did it 20 years ago. But it is Colo. It really is not moving to the future. What we've done is we said, hey, this is the future. And then let's bring that back to extend. We, Azure Stack extends Azure to more customers and more scenario. At the heart, where, whenever there's any question, what should we do? We always say, how does Azure solve this problem? That's how we're going to solve it. Yeah, and you had a, a pretty good slide. Maybe it wasn't yours or someone else's, but I like because it differentiated you know, what it is, what it isn't. And I like it because I think it squashed a lot of the potential FUD that exists in the realm like, this isn't a virtualization replacement play. It's not DIY. It's not just for Windows and .NET. Like, that's great, but then you also had what it is. And some of the things like, it's a, it's a consistent hybrid cloud, right? Because it's been the challenge of one vendor is the private cloud, another vendor is the public cloud. So this is the consistency across that, which I like. Uh, the integrated systems, the update at the Azure level kind of gets spread to your on-prem environment. So I like all those points. And, and kind of the thing I wanted your comment on was you had an Azure Stack session where you showed all the guts, like this is what's going on within Azure Stack, and here's, here's where the pieces and parts, and what's talking to what. Internals are internal, kind of red text that went over. 
you know, what's the idea? Is it, are you trying to deny us nerds are nerd knobs? You know? Yeah, actually, I am, because <laughs> that's the wrong conversation to have. This really is about, you know, in my talk, I talked about uh, Jeffrey Moore's Corvus's context. Mm -hmm. The heart of this is being customer-centric and driving customer-differentiated value. And so what you want to do is you want to build the things that differentiate you and buy the things that don't. And the reality is infrastructure, nobody sells more airplane seats or, or sneakers by managing infrastructure better than the competitors. That's something that you really should just buy, leverage, and move up. And what I found was as I was talking to people, there was such a strong signal on Azure Stack, I started talking to people. And what I realized was they, didn't re they were just projecting their hopes, dreams, and ambitions into it. You know, people okay. who had, who had you know, some title, some large title with infrastructure in it, felt like, well, hey, they can buy Azure Stack, continue to do what they were doing, but they then say that they're cloud. Like we're cloudy, but yeah. we're not. Exactly. Yeah. And so I had to get really new. pointy yeah. to say, hey, listen, that's not really the play here. That's not what we're about. And by the way, part of this is because I'm going to change that infrastructure around to optimize it, et cetera. I had one customer who said, oh, you know, this will never work for me. You know, you'll never be able to sell this to a, a financial institution. I said, uh, you're wrong. Because they said, I have to have my security agent running on your host and in every one of your VMs. I said, we ain't doing that, my friend. Like, <laughs> no way. And they're like, you'll never be able to sell this. And I said, I will. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'll prove it to you. Let me ask you a question. Do you own a SAN? And like, well, yeah, of course we of own course. a SAN. Of course you own a SAN, right. So uh, do you put your security agent on there? And they said, well, no, you, you can't. I said, right, you can't. I'm not going <laughs> to let you do it either. Because guess what? That SAN, that storage area network is what? It's a general purpose server yeah, with a general purpose uh, operating system and a piece of software where the vendor puts it all together and delivers you an appliance experience. And you don't get to go inside there and tweak things and have your opinion about how to configure the settings. That's not the deal. And that's the, <laughs> that's pretty the model I here. Like, I like that example. <laughs> So basically you have a backbone. You tell them no. You're the office of no, but in a good way. Well, you know, so many times, the job of an architect is two things. One is to be the guardian of the future. And the second is to know when to be a butthead, right? You don't always <laughs> want to be a butthead because then you're just a jerk. Yeah. But if you don't understand what it takes to, to be successful in the future and then just be uncompromising about that. Let me give you an example, MSI. Do you ever look at MSI? The packaging? Yeah, the packaging, yeah. I right? I used to use Orca, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, right. So this nice, fully declarative system, yeah. and then they ran into some problem, and, and somebody said, well, okay, I'll allow custom actions, <laughs> right? Yeah. It completely destroyed that architecture, yeah, completely yeah. destroyed that architecture, and rendered it useless, and really hurt this industry, you know, the Windows ecosystem, for 20-plus years. It was a disastrous decision. That architect should have held the line and said, no, do that some other way. Anyway, so in this case, exactly the same thing. By the way, because I took that stand, we're able to get incredible security out of Azure Stack. Because in this system, I know everything. I know all the parts. I know who needs to talk to who. I know exactly what's supposed to be running, exactly where. So guess what? I got policies. The only code that runs is the code that I say that runs. The only thing it can talk to are the things I know it's going to talk to. So if any way, there's somehow there's some hole in the break in and they get something, guess what? They can't talk to anything because the SDN won't let them talk to anything. It's only allowing this protocol to that machine. So there's multiple layers because of that taking a hard stand. That makes sense. And you can argue the same for public cloud. You can't install agents at the hypervisor layer. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just not going to happen. But they don't push back on that in the same way. 
kind of a couple parting thoughts here that I want to tease apart. I did see that the next kind of thing coming up for Azure Stack is training and certifications, which those are like, you know, the hamster wheel of, uh, I guess, technical crack cocaine. Uh, but at the same time, if, you're, if there's no nerd knobs or what, you know, like, do you have any opinions on that? What, are, what do we have to get certified on? Kind of, yeah. Is it more around the engineering at the hardware layer? Is it more operational? Like, what do you see that kind of forming into? Right. So I do see a shift in the roles of IT, and I believe that there will be three emerging roles, right, in the Azure Stack world. So the first is the cloud architect, mm -hmm. right? The person that knows all the capabilities, knows how to work with the vendors, knows how to integrate it in with the existing systems, how to integrate it in with identity and, and networking, all that good stuff, mm -hmm. and to understand all the capabilities of the system. Number two is the Azure Stack operator, right? Okay. This is the guy who's going to watch it day to day, set up tenant offerings, patch and update the system and look for alerts and deal with those alerts. That's fair. And then the third are the, the true users, right? And here we see this being used by DevOps teams. Now, my belief, the way I think about DevOps teams is it's a team that is full of engineers okay. and it's grounded in code, okay? Now, some of those engineers will be coding C Sharp or Node.js, other of those engineers will be coding ARM template documents mm -hmm. or desired state configuration documents or PowerShell scripts. But all this code, it's grounded in code. It's in source code control. So you always know who changed something, when they changed it, et cetera. It has unit tests, has continuous deployment, et cetera. Anyway, but it is an engineering job, but it's IT pros skill set but it done with an engineering discipline. Anyway, the neat thing about these, these are three fantastic jobs, and you're going to earn a lot more money and have a lot more fun. A couple of things grabbed my attention here. One is Jeffrey's straightforward argument for public cloud, and he said, uh, roughly, build the things that differentiate you and buy the things that don't differentiate you. Building infrastructure isn't a differentiator, so buy, leverage, and move on. And I guess that's a fair point, because I think it's interesting to consider that cloud operators, their sole purpose in life is to do what? To build infrastructure. That is their business. And so, in theory, they should be really, really good at it. They are very likely to create infrastructure that is better than anything most companies could build themselves. It's going to be more capable. It's going to be more flexible. So why wouldn't you buy that infrastructure, leverage that infrastructure, and move on, as Jeffrey said, instead of building it yourself? We can make a lot of arguments either way here, but I think Jeffrey's point is an interesting one. Another point I picked up on is that security is breaking down as an argument against cloud. And this starts to make sense when you think of cloud as an appliance in the context of Azure Stack, like Jeffrey was discussing. And if you take that logic a little bit further, that appliance thought, it really can be applied to public cloud because it's more or less the same thing. It's an infrastructure appliance in the sky. If you start digging into the specifics of how public cloud security is architected, I don't think the public cloud vendors, at least not the serious ones, are likely to be the ones to blame during a breach. It, oh, you hosted your app in the public cloud, and that's why you got breached. No, you had a massive attack service and a badly secured application, and that's why you got breached. Where the app was hosted is incidental. So I don't really feel the security and cloud argument there holds up. You need security, yes, but cloud by definition is potentially more secure than the environment you're likely to build yourself when you start researching it. Some really interesting facts about that come to light. We've teased apart PowerShell, both your hiatus and, and your doghouse moments, as well as your, your moment of victory as you emerge from the cocoon of, of Monad Shell. 
uh, as well as Azure Stack, which I think is incredibly interesting and I've uh, been, been enjoying watching the development of that product from you know the, a year ago when it was kind of whispers to now it's GA. Uh, let's talk about specifically Ignite-based news. There's been a lot of announcements, and I've kind of broken it up into a couple different logical ideas. The first was Azure obviously got a lot of attention in all the keynotes, the technical ones, the visionary ones. Uh, when I look at Azure, I'm seeing, I don't know, I'm kind of coalescing a bunch of different things that I saw together. I'm seeing the introduction of availability zones, which I don't think was announced this specific week, but but recently, the update management, which kind of remind me of like the Shavlik product back in the day for doing patching and, and management of the workloads. Uh, there was uh, showing off like Cosmos DB to just make a database that spans the globe. Like I'm seeing all these, these things that are being put into Azure, and it's no longer just enhancing the IaaS experience. Now this is like serious operational automation type thing. So you know, what's your thoughts there? What's going on? Yeah, well, uh, so there's a couple things going on. So first is, indeed, well, actually, the IaaS experience just continues to get better. Yeah. One of the great stories is, you know, as we say, oh, you should pursue digital transformation, the answer is, well, how? Right? Double the engineering staff? You don't get to do that. So you've got to create bandwidth yourself. Okay. And how do you create bandwidth? And one of the answers is, if you just lift and shift your stuff, your IaaS stuff, now with all the management that comes native, it's easier and easier to deploy, easier to keep up to date, et cetera. And by us doing that in Azure, that frees up resources so that you can go spend. Now, where you really hit it out of the ballpark is when you start to take advantage of some of these rich capabilities, the rich frameworks, as you mm -hmm. mentioned, the rich microservices, and write cloud-native applications. So that's really ultimately where you know, uh, people who invest in new things are able to get the maximal benefit. The other thing you're seeing is, you know, I have this joke. By the way, so the, the phenomena that you're seeing is this exponential rise in, in features and functions and capabilities. Yeah, it's almost like it's, it's much higher level, which I, I think is where, as I, not, to, not to interrupt necessarily, sure. but you know, as I'm looking at it, it's like this is much higher level stuff. Normally this would be something I buy as mm -hmm. a piece of software, like to do patch management. That's a vendor that I go to. Or it's just something that, that's kind of at the operational level. It's like a tool, like a CA tool or something that I'm deploying. Here it felt like it was kind of native one-click features within... Azure that makes it way more than just raw, raw IaaS. That's know, exactly yeah, correct. It, it, yep. just, it seemed interesting to me. Yeah. So the other phenomenon that's going I'm on... your story, though. Yeah. Oh, is that... Um, <laughs> basically, I have a joke that nobody cares about your first million lines of code. And the observation here is that sometimes, whenever you do anything significant, there's a mass, a critical mass of code that you need to write, and it doesn't necessarily like come, come together to actually deliver anything. But that once you have this critical mass of code, then all of a sudden you can write 500 lines of code to tie all that together, and you look amazing, right? And true. so what happens is my joke is, hey, never quit a project when you got 990,000 lines of code <laughs> written, right? Because then you leave, and the new guy comes in, writes 500 lines of code, and everyone's like, oh, thank heavens you showed up. I've been paying that <laughs> idiot for years, and I got nothing. And you came in, and you're so productive. Yeah. Well, certainly now apply that joke, and, and it's really a true, true phenomena. What you're seeing is that now, all of a sudden, the people building on top of Azure, we're building upon this great subsystem. Yeah. And so we're able to write these small amounts of code, and still large, but still amounts of code, and bring it all together to deliver these amazing features. So that's why the pace is accelerating, the capabilities accelerating, and it's just going to continue to accelerate. It's really yeah. a phenomenal time. And of course, I've listened to your podcast a while, <laughs> so I, I'm sure you'll appreciate this, right? I'm not sure everybody gets this in focus, but... If you actually look at the technology stack for the industry, this is by far the most exciting time ever, right? It's always been the most exciting time ever. This is different. 
This, this is time it really different. means it. <laughs> this time really. No, this is different. Because in the past, everything was, you know, we all sort of had it in focus. And then there'd be a revolution here. And you take a few years and normalize that. And then there might be a revolution here. Right now, there's a revolution, deep rethinking, deep fundamental rethinking at every single layer of the stack, right? From the silicon to the memory architectures to the storage to the networking to the operating systems, containers, microservices. Every single layer of the stack is undergoing deep fundamental rethinking. This is a fantastic time to be in the industry. And just put your seatbelt on. Nobody can predict what's going to happen. Yeah, because usually the announcements are like, oh, we can do this much more memory in a VM now, or you know, now you can run a... You know, it's like, who cares? You know, it's, it's really irrelevant you know, who's, hitting, who's hitting those numbers. Who needs 16 terabytes of memory in a single virtual machine? I think the only thing that y'all you, you, uh, really emphasized there was, I, I did see a demo where it was a 64-core virtual machine that had double-nested hypervisors. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. All right, I can, I can see that for a lab or, or, or some type Absolutely. of scenario for sure. But it wasn't just, hey, we can do 64 cores and you stop there. You actually showed a use case on top of it, which I thought was interesting. And there was a demo of the PowerShell console in the Azure, Porter, Is that uh, Azure portal. Is that awesome? Yeah, I was like, oh, come on. And they're like, oh, you can do PowerShell on your iPhone now. I was like, well, I don't know if I necessarily care about that. I mean, Actually, you, know, you get tab mm-hmm. completion, too. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's an Apple device. I'm not... Oh, okay, yeah, got it. I'm, I'm an Android By the way, I don't, I don't know if they <laughs> showed it, but here's the thing. So you go to that console, and you can say, hey, I want PowerShell, and you get Windows, or you can say, I want Bash, I did and you that. get Linux. Yeah. But wait, get this. So try it, right? You go run Bash, and then when you're there, you got Bash, do all your good stuff, then type PowerShell. We took the Linux version of PowerShell and we included it in, that, in the Bash shell. And so you can run PowerShell on Linux. And from this, in, from this environment, you can do anything. Okay. Now, we built it there so that you can manage Azure. But now put your seatbelt on. Again, you can manage anything you can connect to. So you can run that thing and go manage your AWS instances or your VMware hypervisor. You want to Hotel California people. Like, once they're in the portal, oh, man. they never want to leave. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's really good. I mean, it was really exciting. No, it was it was great demos, and it was all like live demo, and it's like wow, it takes a lot of guts because especially over, I think one guy was demoing Xamarin with uh, a Wi-Fi connection to his phone in a keynote room with so much interference. I could see it kind of struggling a little bit to connect. I'm like, that yeah. is a lot of guts. I would not want to be that guy. Yeah. No, I should make some point. The current version, ver- it's a version one. Yeah. The container startup times take longer than I want. I've got a few issues that we need to work out. So when you try it, it is amazing, but the startup time does take a while. So just be aware of that. And just be aware, we'll, you know, by the time you try it, we might have already got that fixed. Usually a 1.0 is features a 1.1 or whatever is performance. There you so go. Like improvements, so that doesn't seem yeah. too out of the ordinary. But once you're running, runs fine. Up it's that initial startup. All right. Well, now we have the caveat that it might take a little bit to, to start up, so get some coffee or whatnot. The other major one was uh, SQL Server 2017, went GA, and then I, we saw the demo where essentially it was running in a Docker container. It was like, build me, build me SQL, and it was a push a button, it was running. You know, Linux, Docker, whatnot. But I seem to recall, I don't know, maybe I was hearing you or someone else like back in the day, you know, like, What's going on here? Like, I wrote down the comment, like, so much love for containers, so much love for Linux. You know, I had, I had the question, who are you and what did you do to Microsoft? Because <laughs> this seems really, I mean, it's kind of not abnormal for the very current development of Microsoft. But historically, this is all completely 180 from what I'm used to seeing. That's right. Microsoft company. used to be a very Microsoft-centric world, right? Yeah. We're going to provide you Microsoft, Microsoft, Microsoft. And as long as you stay within the Microsoft world, everything's fine. And when you hit the edge, 
well, you know, we had some issues there, <laughs> right? Licensing <laughs> issues or technology issues, et cetera. And again, it goes back to Satya. I can't not stress how, and it's genuine. Like, okay. this is a real deal. And is he Satya, your boss? You he's everybody's boss. No, I don't, I don't report I don't know if you were a direct report. I just want to see no. like, performance reports coming out. You know, like, oh, he's the best guy ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he really is a transformational yeah. leader and, you know, kind of set the tone and the culture. He just said, get out. Go find out what people want and give it to them. And what we found out was that people, any individual might be, I'm a Windows guy or I'm a Linux guy. But most customers are both, okay? <laughs> and so by not offering great support for the Linux side, that was a problem, right? That was not achieving what Satya told us to do, which is go make people successful. So, you know, we started this a few years ago. I was investing heavily in providing great Linux support on, on a server. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've got great Linux VMs. Uh, we have a, a part of our team uh, now, we do all the Linux kernel work. Right? So these are the guys who a couple years ago were the number one Linux contributor for the year. Yeah. yeah. And we do all the uh, Linux optimizations. They were the ones that just came out and worked with Ubuntu to have a special kernel for Ubuntu to optimize for running under Azure. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's uh, you know, like, here's, changing, a, here's yeah. a reality, man. We just have awesome engineers. And uh, when we focus them on problems, they rock. And so now we focus them on everything. Windows, Linux, make it all great. Yeah, and I even I remember the demo with Visual Studio Team Services, the VSTS that came out. It was being that I use Git a lot and GitHub, I like that, you know, there's Kanban board and you can relate it to the branch and just I was an old Visual Studio VSS user back in the day and then Team Services and I'm like, I don't even recognize this thing. It looks yeah. it looks way better. Closing thought. Respectfully you've been at Microsoft quite some time. Yeah. I'll let you decide if you want to disclose you know, age and things like that and how <laughs> your tenure. But respectfully, you, you've been here for quite some time. You've seen a lot. How do you feel, like, just t talking about Ignite itself, how do you feel this show compares to TechEd and the other uh, the management summits and things like that? You know, and pick any metric you want, the, the kind of the energy, the love for open source, the community vibe, just focus on the company. What are, you, what are you thinking about this show? This is the third Ignite, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I'd say that there really has been a, a kind of sea change under Sacha, and I just welcome it immensely, right? I, I've always kind of thought this way and then existed in a company that wasn't quite aligned that way. <laughs> and I think what you see is a shift in focus and tone mm. of the entire conference. In the past, I think you saw a very sort of me-focused world, <laughs> right? Let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about great yeah. I am. Let me tell you about my features, et cetera. Now what I think you see is much more of a, of a service mindset, Right. We're here to serve our customers. We're here to listen to our customers, to find out what they need, and to serve them. And that's a completely different environment. So we, we definitely have lots of presentations, but there's a lot of listening going on. That's so I think that so is a, like the, a big sea change. It's more like the conference now. Everyone's aligning to I the original know, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if they had put me in charge, I would have done the same thing. Uh, last question for you. Um, so thinking about what you're doing now, your kind of newish role within the company, you know, what are you most excited about for the future when it comes to the work that you and your team are doing at Microsoft? Yeah, so the thing is, I mentioned to you these, it's one of the most exciting times. You really can't pick a problem and not have an opportunity to be a superstar and to change the world, right? It is one of those environments where it's a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to figure out where you want to choose. But whatever you choose, you're going to have to work your butt off. So I've chosen to say, hey, this hybrid cloud, I think, is where I'm going to go invest my energy and my passion and see about solving that problem. That's fair. All right. 
Well, Jeffrey, thank you very much for coming on the show and taking time out at Microsoft Ignite to uh, to talk to the audience here and and everyone on the show. That's it for today's edition of the Data Nuts Podcast. If you're a social creature, you can follow me at Chris Wall on the Twitters and my blog is wallnetwork.com. And my delightful friend Ethan is at ECBanks on the Twitters and his blog is ethancbanks.com. For more of our Data Nuts shows about infrastructure engineering, do a nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packetpushers.net. You'll find the Data Nuts talking about containers, conferences, certifications, PowerShell, moving to cloud, full stack engineering, you name it, we got it. Until then, may your server lights blink, your storage spindles spin, and your cables be clean managed. Jeffrey, or is Mr. Snover? Which one do you prefer? Good Lord, Jeffrey. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, well, first off, it's, it's tough. I don't know, you know, like, who knows? <laughs>